Chapter Twenty of Half a Century by Jane Grey Swisshelm. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Pamela Nagami. Rights of Married Women. After mother's death, I prosecuted to a successful issue a suit for the recovery of the house in which I was born. It stood on Water Street near Market, and our lawyer, Walter Lowry, afterwards Supreme Judge, was to have given us possession of the property on the 1st of July, 1845, which would add $800 a year to the income of my sister and myself. But on the 10th of April, the great fire swept away the building and left a lot bearing ground rent. Property rose, and we had a good offer for the lease. Everyone was willing to sell, but the purchasers concluded that both our husbands must sign the deed. To this no objection was made, and we met in William Shin's office, when my husband refused to sign unless my share of the purchase money were paid to him. Mother's will was sacred to me. The money he proposed to put in improvements on the Swissvale mills. These, in case of his death before his mother, would go to his brothers. I had not even a dower right in the estate, and already the proceeds of my labor and income from my separate estate were put upon it. I refused to give him the money, and on my way alone from the lawyer's office it occurred to me that all the advances made by humanity had been through the pressure of injustice, and that the screws had been turned on me, that I might do something to right the great wrong which forbade a married woman to own property. So instead of spending my strength quarreling with the hand, I would strike for the heart of that great tyranny. I borrowed books from Judge Wilkins, took legal advice from Colonel Black, studied the laws under which I lived, and began a series of letters in the journal on the subject of a married woman's right to hold property. I said nothing of my own affairs and confined myself to general principles until a man in East Liberty furnished me an illustration, and with it I made the cheeks of men burn with anger and shame. The case was that of a young German merchant who married the daughter of a wealthy farmer. Her father gave her a handsome outfit in clothes and furniture. She became ill soon after marriage, and her sister took her place as housekeeper and nursed her till she died, after bequeathing the clothes and furniture to the sister. But the sorrowing husband held fast to the property and proposed to turn it into money. The father wanted it as souvenir of his lost child and tried to purchase of him but the husband raised the price until purchase was impossible when he advertised the goods for sale at vendu the father was an old citizen highly respected and so great contempt and indignation was felt that at the vendu no one would bid against him so the husband's father came forward and ran up the price of the articles when her riding dress hat and whip were held up there was a general cry of shame the incident came just in time for my purpose, so I turned every man's scorn against himself, said to them, Gentlemen, these are your laws. Your English ancestors made them. Your fathers brought them across the water and planted them here, where they flourish like a green bay tree. You robbed that wife of her right to devise her own property. That husband is simply your agent." Lucretia Mott and Mary A. Grew of Philadelphia labored assiduously for the same object, and in the session of 47 and 48, 
the legislature of pennsylvania secured to married women the right to hold property soon after the passage of the bill william a stokes said to me we hold you responsible for that law and i tell you now you will live to rue the day when you opened such a pandora's box in your native state and cast such an apple of discord into every family in it his standing as a lawyer entitled his opinion to respect and as he went on to explain the impossibility of reconciling that statute with the general tenor of law and precedent i was gravely apprehensive the public mind was not prepared for so great a change there had been no general demand for it lawyers did not know what to do with it and judges shook their heads indeed there was so much doubt and opposition that i feared a repeal until some months after colonel kane came to me and said there is a young lawyer from steubenville named stanton who would like to be introduced to you i was in a gracious mood and consented to receive the young lawyer named stanton as he came into the room and advanced toward me immediately i felt myself in the presence of a master mind of a soul born to command when introduced he gravely took my hand and said i call to congratulate you upon the passage of your bill it is a change i have long desired to see we sat and talked on the subject some time and my fears vanished into thin air if this man had taken that law into favour it would surely stand and as he predicted be improved and enlarged i have never been so forcibly impressed by any stranger his compactness of body and soul the clear outlines of face and figure the terseness of his sentences and firmness yet tenderness of his voice were most striking and as he passed down the long room after taking leave my thought was mr stanton you have started for some definite point in life some high goal and you will reach it this was prophetic for he walked into the war department of this nation at a time when it was probable no other man in it could have done the work there which freedom demanded in her hour of peril for this young man was none other than edwin m stanton the ajax of the great rebellion End of chapter twenty